Good afternoon, everyone. It's Danny Haifam coming on a few seconds early just to let YouTube do its thing. Just let me know how I sound in the chat. My audio and all that should be fixed from the last time that I had issues. So again, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me. I have about 45 minutes to a little under an hour. I'm going to actually be on Revolutionary Blackout Network on Compton J's show with Elias Sapita after this at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Now, fair warning for this stream, if there's too much noise coming from the downstairs apartment, I may have to postpone and do it again some other time this week. Hopefully, I can squeeze it in. This tends to be the best day for these kind of solo afternoon streams. But there is an emergency repair, my super tells me, in the downstairs apartment. And there has been intermittent drilling, which has been incredibly frustrating because I do have a few things. This, as well as the Revolutionary Blackout Network appearance at 3 p.m. So crossing my fingers that the drilling is over. Anyway, let's get to it. So as you're coming in, make sure that you like the stream. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you hit the bell for those notifications. And also make sure to consider supporting this program at patreon.com slash Danny Haifang. It's the end of the month, so I know bills are coming in. But Patreon is the best way to support my ongoing work. I'm actually doing a lot more of these streams because this is such an important issue. We are talking about Ukraine and Russia again. Yes, there has been a lot of developments that have been ongoing and changing rapidly. So it's really important that we ensure that we're kept up to date, but not only kept up to date with the headlines, but the propaganda that has been disseminated by Western imperialism, by the United States, by the imperialist orbit led by the U.S.-NATO alliance. There is such an intense propaganda campaign happening right now regarding Russia's military operation in Ukraine. The latest news is that there are negotiations, there are conversations happening between Russia and Ukraine being brokered, being brokered by, so there is the drilling. And just like that, just let me know if it's too loud. That's very loud for even me. So unfortunately, this may be cut short if it does not stop. But there are negotiations happening. Okay, so that there will be announcements i'm sure coming about what exactly occurred there if there was any agreement if the, i know that there is a push for a ceasefire so some folks saying it's not too bad it almost sounds as loud as i do but i'm trying to talk through it anyway let me know if it gets to be way too much and if so, I will postpone the stream. You know, something like this, I may not be able to reclip or anything. But nonetheless, it's super distracting, and I'm going to try my best not to be too distracted. So let me, great. It says people can hear me. So if you are not too annoyed by the drilling, I will continue. Amazing. All right. 
So I want to get right to it. The first thing I want to bring up is the incredible racism that has come out of the corporate media, the Western corporate media, as Russia's military operation continues. Think about this, okay? There are a lot of people on the left who do not want to talk about racism. A lot of people don't see racism as a problem in the United States right now. There's a huge section of the United States, but even on the left, that is promoting colorblind politics. This idea that racism is not really a problem, but the corporate media is demonstrating why it's a problem. And we're seeing Ukraine be portrayed as this European crusader defending itself from the Russian horde. That is a narrative that has been constructed by the media, by the Western political establishment, by the imperialist countries. And what's ironic about this, and I'll talk for about five minutes before getting to some of the material I have prepared for you, what's ironic about this is that Ukraine is not European in any sense of the word. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people in Ukraine who might consider themselves European, depending on their class, depending on their cultural and national background. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the world who don't know history really, or don't even know what's going on right now, who would think, oh yeah, Ukraine, I guess that's European because it's in that part of the world. But if we're talking about in the political sense, in terms of how Ukraine has been treated, it is not European. And what do I mean by that? Europe is the citadel or the former citadel of imperialism before the United States became the world superpower after World War II. But Europe is really the origins of imperialism, of racism, of colonialism. And the ironic thing here is that in the 21st century, in 2022, to call Ukraine European flies in the face of political reality. The European Union has not even admitted Ukraine into its alliance, its economic alliance, its financial arrangement, nor has NATO admitted Ukraine at this time. I know that there are discussions about both happening. The European Commission is funneling weapons from all the different European countries. NATO is talking about the possibility of admitting Ukraine at some point based upon Ukraine's decision, right? This puppet government's decision, but whether it wants it or not. But those things are not a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. It is just as likely that Ukraine will still remain outside of NATO and outside of the EU, which in effect means that it is not considered European, right? That is the political reality of the 21st century, of 21st century imperialism that is dominated by these military and economic institutions, these consortium of the political states, the state apparatuses of the monopoly capitalist class. That's what the EU is. That's what NATO is. They're military and economic institutions meant to reinforce, reproduce, and ultimately expand the diktats and rule of monopoly and finance capital. And so Ukraine isn't a part of that. And Ukraine is treated not like a European country, which deserves to be equals and have a say in the affairs of how imperialism is governed. Ukraine is treated like a puppet vassal state. 
The United States helped engineer the coup in 2014 via the most heinous right-wing fascistic elements that exist in Ukrainian society, only to then indebt the country via the IMF, create economic catastrophe in the Ukraine, and essentially treat the Ukraine as just a proxy for this larger new Cold War on Russia. That's not how European countries, that's not how Europe has historically been treated by its imperialist partners, especially since the second, the end of the Second World War. So there's no doubt that this is very ironic now that Ukraine is being portrayed as this European, Eurocentric, white crusader against the Russian Asiatic horde. That is an ironic narrative because... It just is inac- it's inaccurate and it just flies in the face of the historical reality that Ukraine has been caught between since the 21st century came around, since the fall of the Soviet Union, to be honest, right? That is just one main point I wanted to make to begin is that this racism is so vile and it's part of this propaganda war. And we're going to take a look right now. Let's take a look at the I'm going to share my screen of a great thread shared by uh, Alan McLeod, a great journalist over at Mint Press News. I hope to have him on the show soon. But as I pull this up, make sure you like the stream as you're coming in. Make sure you like the stream. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit the notifications bell and make sure that you consider subscribing to the uh, to my work at patreon.com slash danny bong to support this ongoing work all right here we go so i don't know if you can see that some of you may have caught this already so here's alan mcleod's thread so the most racist ukraine coverage on tv news so here we have the bbc talking to ukraine's deputy chief prosecutor david Sak Verlides and Verlides, and he says here, and I'm going to turn on the audio for you all so you can hear this. Here's what he says about the intervention. European people. Me, I'm sorry. It's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles. And his helicopters and his rockets. And so, of course, I, I understand and respect the emotion. What you are outlining there is this tension between... One yeah, more time. Sorry. It's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles and his helicopters and his rockets. So there you have it. I don't know if you can hear that. But basically what he's saying is that... Blonde hair, blue-eyed people sounds like fascism to me. <laughs> blonde hair, blue-eyed people are being killed by Russians. And so that is what makes this uh, conflict so tragic. But let's keep going. Okay, so that's just one example of Ukrainian former prosecutor talking about this. But now here, let's see CBS News. Let's listen to what Charlie Degada has to say. Let me go back to the beginning here. Now with the 
the calculus entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. Now with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh, the calculus entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too. Uh, oh yeah, you do, because they're racist. So what's interesting there is you see Charlie Degata literally doing mental gymnastics in his head as he tries to work out a way to say what he wants to say without promoting the most heinous Eurocentrism and racism. So basically saying that, oh, yeah, those savages in Afghanistan or Iraq, Kiev is nothing like that. So that's what makes this so tragic. Although in reality, the United States' interventions in Afghanistan and Iraq are by far more brutal than anything that has happened thus far in the intervention. We can see that just by the sheer way that the corporate media has avoided making actual death toll predictions. But anyway, there are so many examples of this. I don't want to go through all of them, but let me go through some one, one other one. So here's a good one right here. Daniel Hanan writes in The Telegraph that Vladimir Putin's monstrous invasion is an attack on civilization itself. Britain, the West must come to terms with this loss of influence in the worldwide retreat of democracy. And he says here, they seem so like us. That is what makes it so shocking. Ukraine is a European country. It's people watch Netflix and have Instagram accounts, vote in free elections, and read uncensored newspapers. War is no longer something upon visited upon an impoverished and remote population. It can happen to anyone. Okay, what's incredible about that is that Ukraine is incredibly poor. And the mainstream media will actually acknowledge this. The Ukrainian economy is extremely poor. It still has a per capita income that is lower than it was in 1990. So to say this just indicates how much racism is part of this narrative, this war propaganda that the Western media is promoting. It is all about humanizing, making the Ukrainian regime, not so much the Ukrainian people, but the Ukrainian state, the state that has been propped up by the United States, to make that the symbol of humanity and to make Russia the symbol and the, the arbiter of inhumanity. And so that's what we have here. And here's another one. This is another good one, this time from ITV in, U in the UK. Has happened to them, and this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. It's Robert Moore here. In so it's not the unthinkable has happened. This is a developing. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe, she says. And so here we go again. You know, French TV saying it's an important question. We're not talking about Syrians fleeing. We're talking about Europeans. So refugees of Ukraine are far more important than the refugee crisis in Syria and the broader Middle East. I mean, it's just over and over and over again that we're seeing this. But I digress. That's just a little taste of the pure European racism, Eurocentrism that we're seeing.
but it's across the corporate media. It's in the United States as well. It is all about how incredible the Ukraine regime is, how European is it, it is against the Eastern Asiatic Russian horde. It's being unfairly invaded. It is essentially a, a case, a full case again of this world historic phenomenon, this ideological bedrock of imperialism, of this notion of the civilized and the uncivilized. That's what we're seeing here. And one of the ways that this has been more, most importantly, I feel portrayed is in the way that Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, the president of Ukraine has been portrayed. You see it everywhere. You see Zelensky is the hero. He's fighting with Ukraine. He's defending uh, Ukraine from Russia. He's wearing military gear and going out on the front lines and fighting. The problem with this narrative is that it's not a, it's not exactly true. It is actually not known what Zelensky is doing so much uh, at the moment because in terms of whether he's directly fighting because a lot of the images that have been shared are fake. So a lot of them are uh, fake in the sense that they do not correspond with the current conflict that is occurring between Russia and Ukraine. There is a viral image, and I'm going to share my screen again. There's a viral image of Zelensky in military uniform, where it is said that he is fighting with his fellow countrymen and women against Russia and refuses to leave despite the United States offering to leave. But even Reuters did a fact check on the images and they showed that in fact they do not correspond with the event that the, the these are not photos of him participating in the current conflict. So it says old photographs of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wearing military garb have been shared on social media with users wrongly claiming that it shows the president fighting after Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24, 2022. So they're miscaptioned and they, sh uh, they show them here. You have all these social media accounts that were sharing Ukraine's president on the front line. He's on the front line. So these images, so these images here and others, right? These images are several months old. They were taken on December 26, 2021 and showed the president meeting with service members in the Donetsk region of eastern Ukraine. That's out in the Donbass. That's one of the republics that has been recognized by Russia. So he plans to stay in Kiev. So that's that's basically what's happening. They say the verdict is it's miscaptioned. It is fake. So I just want to show you that really quick because actually that's one of the more important narratives that we see right now is that the Ukraine state, its military, is heroic, right? It is incredibly heroic what it's doing fighting against Russia. But we need to complicate this a bit. And I'm going to get into a few other things that I want to share. But the Ukraine state, the state of Ukraine, the current government, it is a coup government. Despite 2019 elections, that government retains the same character, right? It is basically shaped in the image of the coup regime. And we forget, right? We have a lot of deniers out there, a lot of people coming after me. I'm on a several lists on Twitter now about being Putin's puppet and Putin's voice and all this nonsense. 
And it's all to deny the facts of the situation. And that is that while certainly there were more fascists, outright fascists in government, in parliament before 2019, before those elections gave a little bit more political credibility to the state than it really deserves, the damage had already been done. And neo-fascists actually make up a large section of Ukraine's security forces, its defense forces. And today there was a very interesting tweet that came out from Ukraine's National Guard from its official page. And I want to show you that because it really does get to the heart of the matter. Okay, the heart of the matter, which is that Ukraine state is actually filled with neo-Nazi forces. It's paramil it's it's security forces, paramilitaries and the official military work together quite closely, especially in the assault in eastern Ukraine against Donbass, as historically documented. The UN has tallied 13,000 people dying in that conflict, and 80-plus percent of those are people of eastern Ukraine, people of the Donbass region being murdered by... People like this, the Nazi, neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, which is a critical element of the Ukrainian National Guard, of Ukraine's National Guard. And so here they tweeted today, right? This is the official National Guard of Ukraine Twitter page. And they said, Azov fighters of the National Guard greased the bullets with lard against the Kartarov orcs. So that is the dehumanization right there of the Chenchen defense forces which have said that they will support Russia in this conflict and they are a majority Muslim practicing Islam practicing they're a majority Muslim Islam practicing people and so they're calling them orcs and saying and they're greasing their bullets with lard because of the Islamic practice of not eating pork so there you have it they're bragging about killing Muslims this is the Azov Battalion. These are the Azov fighters doing this. And this is the Ukrainian National Guard, Ukraine National, Ukraine's National Guard giving it cover. So for anyone who wants to deny that there is a neo-Nazi problem with Ukraine's security forces, then all you have to do is look at the social media of Ukraine's National Guard and see that there is indeed a big problem and that it is this problem which is at the heart of Russia's military operation, regardless of what you think of whether this was the correct move by Russia, regardless of whether you think it is inhumane or not, because I think that the evidence of that is still not clear. We do not have good reporting coming out about the casualties, who they are. And we have, in all likelihood, as people like Aaron Maté have suggested, and I think this is a good suggestion just based on what we know about propaganda, that if there were masses of civilians being targeted and killed in this military operation, we would have heard about them by now in a clear sense. We would see the actual atrocities. We wouldn't need fake images and propaganda, which we're going to get into actually right now, because one of the ways in which this propaganda has surfaced, right, is by using images, the corporate media and social media across the landscape has used images that say, oh, look at how devastating Russia's military operation is. 
while using images that don't even correspond to that, that are, don't have anything to do with it. And so I'm going to show you how, how this has occurred, right, in a, in a great Twitter thread, actually by someone from USA Today, so a corporate media outlet. I mean, this is how, this is how ridiculous this has become, right, where the misinformation is so rampant that even corporate media like USA Today is doing fact-checking about what is being disseminated. So here we go. Daniel Funk, if that's how you say his name, a reporter at USA Today, is going through images here. So images of things that are being shared online in the media. And there are explosions that have been shared that have been attributed to a rush, Russian attack on Ukraine that are actually a May 2021 airstrike in Gaza. So there's the image that's been disseminated across various media platforms. And here's another one. So there's a video that's been disseminated of Russian aircraft uh, over Moscow during a flyover rehearsal ahead of a national holiday in 2020 that has been supposedly distributed, that has been distributed across media platforms as a flyover of in Ukraine in the current conflict. So there you have it again. M images being misattributed to Russia that are actually that actually have nothing to do with its current military operation. So here we go again. It says Ukrainian police dropping riot gear in Odessa, but that's 2014 and not recently. So again, the scaremongering that, oh my God, people need to get ready to fight on the streets against the Russians. Well, this happened in 2014. Odessa, I don't know if you remember the Odessa massacre, where there was a burning by the Euromaidan proxies, and they killed, I believe it was over 100 people, a lot of them labor uh, folks, union folks, because they burned a national labor union building, they burned people alive, they trapped them in there. So that may be a reference to that, the 2014 incident that occurred there, the Odessa massacre. So earlier this week, thousands of social media users falsely claimed clips from the video game called Arma 3 showing war between Russia and Ukraine. So there you go. More of this misinformation, right? So more and more and more, right? A recent explosion in Ukraine, the clip was uh, published. Yeah. So anyway, oh, here we go. This photo does show Ukrainians praying, but it wasn't taken recently. The image is circulated online since 2019. So Ukrainians praying, right, praying probably for their lives because Russians are coming to get them. This image is not true. It's not real. That did not happen publicly. So, again, it's just over and over and over again. This photo does not show a Russian airplane shot down by Ukraine. It was taken in August 2015 during an air show celebrating Russia's National Flag Day. So, again, more news coming out that Russia that a Russian airplane is being shot down, that Ukraine, right? Another part of this narrative is that Ukraine is doing so well against this offensive. And I'll comment on that in a second. But again, these images are fake, 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 fake. So I'm going to stop sharing that. It's just a little bit of a taste, right? I just give me a little bit of taste with the time I have because I do have to leave in about 30 minutes. But a little bit of a taste about what this propaganda is. It's everywhere. We cannot believe the images that we see. Right, we cannot believe them. They are rooted in this propaganda war, right? 
against Russia to paint Russia's military operation as barbaric and savage and to paint the Ukraine regime as completely and utterly uh, justifiable and defensible, some uh, a regime that deserves support from the entire gambit, the whole gambit of popular opinion. And it's worked, right? We see recent polls saying that there are now more than 70% of people that would support a NATO intervention, a direct NATO intervention into this war, into this, if we can call it a war between Ukraine and Russia, that NATO, so now that, that's gone up by several percentage points. There were less than 50% of people who supported that just a week ago before this intervention occurred. So there are so many examples of this. We cannot focus on them all. If you just come, please do like the stream. Please do hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell so you can know when I'm coming on again. And then also consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. It's the best way to support my writing and my ongoing video work, podcast work, etc. So, so there's more, okay? So I'm going to get into one of the examples. So during the in the beginning of this con- military operation, there was a report on Snake Island, Ukraine, that there was a standoff, a final standoff between uh, Ukraine's military, its uh, naval assets, uh, people who are defending the island from Russia. It was the last standoff, and they screwed F Russia, right? And it was claimed that they were all killed. Now, even the Guardian is saying, right, that's not the case. And even the Ministry of Defense has confirmed that that's not the case. So I'll just share what the Ministry of Defense said. So this was just an outright lie, and all the corporate media promoted it, right, that there was a last standoff and Russia massacred the people on Snake Island, yet the Russian, the, U- Mil- the Ministry of Defense in Ukraine has said that preliminary information that border guards may be dead came before the defenders lost contact. As previously reported on February 24th, the aggressor fired from naval weapons and used combat aircraft on border guards and soldiers of the armed forces of the island of Zemilny. According to available information at the time, the infrastructure was destroyed and the island captured. Prior to that, the enemy repeatedly tried in vain to intimidate Ukrainian defenders with demands to surrender and received only one correct answer. No one will surrender. We understand that Russian propagandists, blah, 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 no, blah, blah. border guards and fighters, the armed forces bravely defended themselves, especially in the face of the overwhelming means. Um, currently, after receiving information about their probable location, Together with the armed forces working to identify our soldiers, which is common open networks, we sincerely hope that the boys will return home as soon as possible and the information received at the time of the attack on the death will not be confirmed. Oh, God, I'm not even going to repeat the whole glory BS because that's actually a fascistic. The whole glory that that comes from the Ukrainian nationalist movement. So I ain't going to say that. So in conclusion, it didn't happen. They're imprisoned. They were imprisoned. Okay, they're not dead. And this actually speaks to the heart of something I want to talk about here that Aaron Mate has also talked about in his on Twitter and in his appearances, is that this Russian military operation, regardless regardless of what you think about it, we have to 
objectively analyze what's going on and objectively the operation is very targeted. The corporate media continuously brags that Ukraine has somehow defended itself so righteously, right? So righteously and despite these odds and that, oh, Russia must have underestimated Ukraine's military. And there are people on the left who are saying this. Well, Russia might have miscalculated and thought it had military superiority. These are people who don't understand war. They don't understand the character of the war that is currently underway. Because it is a war. Regardless of whether you think Russia is invading, I personally won't take a stance of invasion. I take the stance of this is actually a targeted operation. And because of the constant aggression that is also a violation of the UN charter that has occurred toward Russia using Ukraine as the proxy, that blurs the lines politically. And so to say it's just an out and out invasion with no justification actually just erases the context for why this operation is occurring. But if we look at the operation and what has happened, people really need to understand that Russia's military is indeed far superior to Ukraine's. Russia could wipe Ukraine off of the map tomorrow. It could destroy Kiev's government tomorrow if it wanted to. But no one's listening to Russia's perspective. Russia has never said it wants to do that. They mock. People are mocking Russia for asking the U Ukraine's military to put its arms down. But even that demand or request, whatever you want to call it, is not something that an invading aggressor really asks, right? Did the United States ask the government of Saddam Hussein, the Ba'ath government in Iraq, to put its arms down before it invaded? Did it ask the Libyan government under Gaddafi, the Jamaharia? Did it ask that government to put its arms down before invading? No. And we can go to other dozens and dozens of examples, Somalia, et cetera. This is a very important point. Russia's military operation is actually very targeted, and it is targeted on military installations. And surely, even the most targeted war, especially in a country as small as Ukraine, especially with the ways in which countries like Ukraine are heavily, the militaries ha are heavily centered in urban areas in contrast to the United States, where a lot of the military installations are actually hidden kind of in the bayou. Surely there might be casualties that aren't Ukraine military forces. That's possible. And so I'm not going to say that that's right. But as of right now, what we know is that Russia's military is one, superior, two, could be much more lethal than it is, and three, has actually behaved itself in a way that is congruent with the statements coming out of the Russian foreign ministry, Russian government. And this is why the corporate media, the Western media, cannot come up with casualty numbers, cannot come up with uh, specifics about what's going on, has to rely on Ukraine's military and its propaganda as the messaging. Because it's quite obvious that this is actually a war between Russia's military and the coup state, the coup government, 
that's what this is about. It's not about the Ukrainian people. Russia is not trying to kill Ukrainian civilians. And we should applaud that. For whatever you think of the invasion, that kind of coordination, we should say, okay, we might not agree with the intervention, but this is not like Iraq. This is not Putler, right? There's this weird, this is not like Germany invading the Soviet Union, for example, during World War II, Nazi Germany. This is not that. So it's propaganda to say otherwise, but that's the propaganda that we keep hearing over and over and over again, despite the lack of evidence. And so there is just so much we could talk about. But I want to share one more story, and then perhaps I will all... Yeah, I'm going to share a couple more things. All right. So first is the continued theme of racism. So this just shows how far-right politics are very much a part of the Ukraine government as it's currently constituted, this coup government, this puppet government. So stories have emerged over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, of Ukraine's treatment, the military's treatment of Africans, people of Indian descent, in, uh, Indian nationals, as they try to flee the country. There's actually a Ukraine-only, Ukrainian-only policy in terms of getting out of the country because there's it's not a huge number comparatively, but I think there's there's state there are reports saying there are about 150,000, 160,000 people trying to leave. They don't want to be in the area. Don't know where they're leaving to, but they're in the they're trying to leave the area where the fighting is happening. So I want to share the story, uh, a video, just a minute long, of what's happening to African residents in Ukraine as they try to leave. So. These are, these are residents of Ukraine from South Africa, and they're being treated this way. We're at the um, border of Medica in um, Poland. This is the separation that has been happening, whereas Ukrainians are treated better while the Africans aren't. We've been pushed, we've been shoved. We are denied access, and there are so many of us compared to the Ukrainians. Ukrainians get special treatment while the Africans are waiting outside in the cold in big herds. You get people from Congo all around here, a lot of Africans. You get um, Africans from Rwanda here. It's just a mess at the moment. So there you have it. That's one example. And actually Business Insider did an article that I'm going to share here quickly about this as well. Sometimes Business Insider will do some okay reporting. I actually appreciate them using my statement as is. So here we go. African students fleeing the Russian invasion. I wouldn't use those terms, but the operation. Say they have predicted they have been prevented from crossing to Poland due to Ukrainians' first policy. Thousands of African students in Ukraine found themselves trapped following Russia's intervention. Some have said they have been discriminated against as they try to flee. They say they've been prevented from crossing the border as Ukrainian authorities prioritize Ukrainian people. So that's the reports that are coming out, that thousands of African students live in Ukraine to study medicine and other fields 
at a more affordable prices. And a student in Ukraine, Corinne Sky, who helped coordinate escape routes for hundreds of African students trapped in the country, told Insider that some have struggled to get on buses heading to the border. Some people have gone to get the buses, but they're not allowing black people basically on the buses. They're prioritizing Ukrainians. That's what they say. One African student who reached the Ukraine-Poland border wrote on Twitter that Ukrainian police and army were refusing to let Africans cross. Watch how they are threatening to shoot us, they say. So let's watch this video. So there's someone in there screaming, we don't have bombs, okay? So that's happening to Africans living in Ukraine. And that's important because I think it just demonstrates how we are being propagandized to believe that the Ukraine regime, the coup government, is some kind of quote-unquote civilized force. It's a democratic force. It's all of this. When in fact, it is nothing but a puppet government. It's nothing but a reflection of the very imperialist and racist global system led by the United States. It is a vassal state. And the way it has behaved towards Eastern Ukrainians, the people of Donbass, of Donetsk, of Lugansk, demonstrates that in just one instance. But there's just so many more examples from what I said about the Azov Battalion, that the Ukraine National Guard literally sharing a Twitter post from the Azov Battalion of calling Chen Chen, a Chen Chen organization orcs and using pig lard to wrap to to grease their bullets that they're going to use against a majority islam practicing people i mean this is this is what the ukraine regime is it's a puppet government we should not be aligning with that but this hashtag stand with ukraine hashtag uh, save ukraine all of these hashtags only serve to propagandize us further into actual war. So Russia's military operation, call it what you want. I am awaiting evidence of mass civilian casualties and the complete and utter destruction of actual public infrastructure and institutions, which is characteristic of an actual invasion, right? NATO bombed Libya's water facilities. Schools, religious institutions in Syria have been bombed by NATO. U.S. drones have bombed weddings all across Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen. That is a war crime. That is a literal war crime. That is what imperialism is all about. We have not seen those reports coming out of Ukraine. So until I see that, I am not reserved. I am reserving my judgment in that way to make this false equivalency. Because I don't think that equivalency actually exists. And I'm going to share with you something positive that has come out of this military operation, right? Which I do not claim to be 100% in support of. I think that Russia does have real true reasons to conduct this operation. And I believe that context has to continuously be discussed 
and be part of the conversation, right? This larger problem of NATO aggression, this larger problem of the U.S. meddling in the affairs of Russia, as well as the broader region, the broader Eurasian region, that has to be discussed as what actually lit the match and lit the fuse, not just merely Russian aggression, Russian aggression, which unfortunately a lot of the left has adopted. So while you're here, while I'm sharing, please like the stream. Please hit the notifications bell. Please subscribe before you do that, because then you have to subscribe first, subscribe button, then notifications bell. And also consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash Danny Haifan for any monthly amount you will help sustain this journalism. So our good friend, Brian Berletic, shared a video that we're going to watch about how Russia's military operation has actually done some good, especially for the people of Crimea and the ways in which the Ukraine government was cutting off water resources. So Russia ends another of Ukraine's war crimes. Fresh water flows against Crimea. So let's listen to this as the last thing I share for this stream before some closing comments. Regis crime through its military. Western media would have you believe that Russia is committing some sort of egregious crime through its military intervention in neighboring Ukraine. But as a matter of fact, Russia is putting an end to several very serious and ongoing crimes committed by the regime in Kiev, installed into power by the U.S. in 2014. Crimes that began in 2014 and have only just ended because of Russia's military intervention. First and foremost was Kiev's relentless war against the Donbas region in eastern Ukraine. This left 14,000 dead on both sides, including over 3,000 civilians. This crime has been brought to an end by Russia's military intervention. There's another crime you might not have heard about because the West deliberately covered it up. It was the Ukrainian government deliberately cutting the Crimean Peninsula off from its source of fresh drinking water. 85 to 90 percent of Crimea's water came to it through the North Crimean Canal. This was dammed by the regime in Kiev since 2014, and it has since denied the 2.4 million inhabitants of the Crimean Peninsula fresh, safe drinking water, as well as water for agriculture. This is a crime against humanity. The Western media covered it up, but they would at certain times admit it, but just to brag about how much trouble is creating for Russia. Like this Bloomberg article right here, Crimea's water crisis is an impossible problem for Putin. Well, I guess not, because this is the Russian military blowing that dam up and once again allowing fresh water to flow to the 2.4 million inhabitants of the Crimean Peninsula. This is another crime against humanity carried out by the Western-backed regime in Kiev that Russia's military intervention has brought to an end. And one you will not hear mentioned in the Western media as they continue trying to bolster support for a government that has done so much damage to its own people and to its neighbors. All right. So there you have it. Brian Berletic says it's straight. Sets us all straight. Ukraine was cutting off essential resources like water from eastern Ukraine to starve the people into submission at the behest of the United States, at the behest of NATO in Europe. That's what it was doing. And now that has in some ways come to an end. So we... 
some some are saying that they hear an echo. Sorry about that. Do you hear an echo now? Hold on one sec. Okay, I I don't know if you're hearing an echo. I can't hear myself. I don't have headphones on or nothing like that. So there should not be an echo anymore. I ended the screen share. So that's it. Okay. I don't know. Okay, it was the video. Sorry about that. Okay. Let's just move on. All right. I have about 10 to 15 more minutes to share with you all. So just some closing remarks about what we learned today. And while, while you're listening, please drop a like. Please boost the stream in that way. Please subscribe to the channel. Please hit the notifications bell. And of course, the way you support my work is not through, you know, uh, anything except patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. Yeah, I'm trying to keep this ad free, etc. So to conclude, what we are witnessing is a massive PSYOP, a political act of manipulation by the forces of empire to get us to support Ukraine's coup government, similar to how in 2014, the United States and its NATO allies worked overtime through direct support and through a propaganda war to get us to support the Maidan revolution, quote unquote, the color revolution, also known as a revolution of dignity, that overthrew the democratically elected government of uh, Viktor Yanukovych. That is the point here. And until we get evidence of Russia's massive wrongdoing in this military operation to Ukrainian people, ordinary Ukrainians, right? And I don't doubt that there might be some unfortunate incidents that occur from this, right? Especially given that the Ukraine paramilitary groups, the Ukrainian military, its installations are embedded with the people. I mean, this is part of the strategy that a lot of puppet governments take, especially underdeveloped countries where they have a heavy countryside that does not support advanced infrastructure. They have to be located in the cities. This is part of political economy and understanding how underdevelopment, understanding how imperialism impacts countries like Ukraine and creates pretty devastating conditions such as these, where, where somewhere like Kiev is so heavily concentrated in terms of all of the capital that exists in the country and thus is the only place that maybe that can support heavy military hardware and installations. That's just how it is in countries like this. While in the imperialist orbit, the West likes to use its, its advantages economically to actually hide its military from the people in a lot of ways. It does its best to enforce a heavy security securitized regime while at the same time concealing what that securitized regime is doing to ordinary people in the United States and the West. That is why most of the military bases in the United States they don't tech, they're not technically in places where you would expect to see a lot of activity from ordinary people going on as well, whether you go to New Mexico or Texas or even Massachusetts, where I'm from, uh, they are tucked away. And now we live in an era, of course, of militarized police. So a lot of the militarization has come to the fore for heavily populated areas as well. So 
this is where we're at, guys. We have to see how these negotiations go. I, for one, despite all the people's pessimism about this moment, you know, and there have been concerning developments, right? The more that the U.S. and NATO continue to aggressively respond to Russia's military operation, the more that things like Russia putting its nuclear, its defense forces in charge of its nuclear arms on alert, right? That That's going to happen more and more as things like this happen more and more. And we have to expect in a new Cold War scenario where the United States is provoking and instigating these kind of crises that something like this can happen. Now, I wasn't expecting Russia to do this necessarily. I thought that the United States would just continue to escalate its sanctions regime, militarization, all of that, but that Russia would broker through its independence uh, declaration of recognizing the independence of the breakaway republics would broker some kind of policy that would be sustainable for itself and uh, those that they support, right? The, the, the LDR and the uh, DPR the LPR and the DPR, the two breaker republics. But we cannot, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict everything. So a lot of us were incorrect in some respects. But now that as we look at it with a sober lens, look at what's happened, it's quite clear that every solution was, every other solution was exhausted, right? And we have to promote that understanding that Russia from the beginning of these rumors, three plus months ago, Russia's going to invade. Russia's going to invade. Okay, we're going to send, right? What did the United States do? We're going to send 100 millions more in military aid, lethal aid. We're going to uh, continue to send these weapons and Ukraine is actually going to escalate, which happened. More than 100,000 troops went to the eastern Ukraine to escalate the war on Donetsk and Lugansk and Donbass in general. Russia, since the beginning, was saying demilitarize. Stop it. That's all we want. Do not admit NATO into Ukraine. Demilitarize the situation, and we can go on in the same way that things have been going on before the intervention, before the escalation. And what did the United States do? Well, Joe Biden in January said, basically gave the middle finger to Vladimir Putin, said, Nope, we're not negotiating anything. And then after that, there wasn't even any consideration for Russia's requests or demands, so to speak. So that in and of itself shows how shallow people are to jump on the anti-Russia bandwagon, to jump on the new Cold War bandwagon and say, this is Russia's fault and they, there's nothing that can explain its actions, its, its, its fault alone. That is shallow analysis. That is decontextualizing the situation that only serves imperialism. That's all it serves. There is no other explanation than people's vested interests. If there's anyone, especially on the left, you saw Marion Williamson. Oh, man, Marion Williamson. We got some Samantha Power syndrome coming up with Marion Williamson. I said that to her. I said, look, this sounds like Samantha Power, right? who is the famous architect of this do-something narrative because, according to Samantha Power, during the Rwanda genocide in the early 90s, I believe that was 94, she 
famously said that the United States just sat back and let it happen. She didn't mention that the the Rwanda Patriotic Front leader, right, Paul Kagame, was trained by the United States military. She didn't mention that the U.S. backs Rwanda's current government that took over after the genocide, right? Paul Kagame's gov- uh, uh, political f- uh, RPF party. She didn't mention Uganda either, right? They both worked together to commit genocide in the Congo. But I guess the United States was it doesn't do anything, right? That's the narrative. That's the humanitarian interventionist narrative. That's the whole genocide narrative of Samantha Power. And you had Marion Williamson repeating that, saying, oh, well, just because in the past we've done wrong doesn't mean we can't do right now. And who's we? Who's we? And somebody saying we should have her on the show. She's never, I've, I've reached out to her to have discussions and we'll see what happens. I don't, I don't know if that will occur, but I haven't seen anyone who would really take her to task actually do so or her participate in anything like that. But it's a good suggestion. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But the point is, is that she was claiming that the United States should send weapons to Ukraine. Sending weapons to a coup regime that is actively slaughtering Russian-speaking people in eastern Ukraine is literally a war crime. You are aiding and abetting war. Just like the United States sending weapons to Saudi Arabia so they can use them and conduct genocide in Yemen. But of course, who cares about Yemen and Syria and Libya and the African, Asian, uh, you know, global south? Who cares about them, right? Who cares about the vast majority of humanity, really the global majority? Who cares about them? That's really what we're getting here is that Ukraine deserves it because Ukraine is European. Ukraine is white. Ukraine is a worthy cause and thus even leftists should support the United States arming a coup regime to slaughter Russians. I just, I just, uh, it just blows my mind that that could even be considered among anyone who considers themselves progressive, but this is a big problem. And I'm just going to end by saying and concluding that one of the biggest problems here is that we never got over the, the situation that occurred during World War One that Ho Chi Minh spoke so much about, that Vladimir Lenin spoke so much about, and that is this uh, defend the fatherland issue that occurred in the Second International, really a liberal regime, ideological regime, but it was espoused by socialists, so-called socialists, French socialists, British socialists, they, during World War I, said, oh, yeah, we have to fight with the imperialist government to win this war. And ever since then, ever since that was established, you've always had a section of even the socialist movement, right? I call them more social democrats, but the socialist movement is willing to carry water for imperialism. And that's what we're seeing here, too, in a much more complicated situation now that Russia is standing up. Russia's fighting back. Russia's saying, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen in the same way anymore. True colors are certainly revealed, and we are seeing people's true colors coming out. 
people do not want to see. And I, it, it, believe me, I don't necessarily want it to come to this. But I know in my heart of hearts that it's something that's going to happen. Russia, China, other countries are going to have to fight back to win, to, to survive. Forget winning. To survive, they have to fight back. And there's only so much economic and political arrangements that can be done, right? Russia-China alliance, BRICS, Belt and Road, Eurasian Economic Union. There's only so much of that that can be done to avoid military conflict when the global hegemon is hell-bent on burning the bridges, destroying the unions, and really laying waste to the world. And although I don't have proof and evidence of this, so I won't say it's fact, my opinion of why Russia invaded was that I believe that their intelligence probably knew that there were no there there were just no limitations to the economic war that the United States was going to wage and Europe, its NATO allies were going to wage on Russia. And I think Nord Stream 2, the pressuring of the certificate of canceling the certification process for the moment, at least demonstrates that, that actually the United States and Europe are willing to bankrupt themselves economically in terms of the global capitalist economy by sanctioning Russia to the point of complete starvation, that Russia, I think, felt that it needed to get things done in a quick manner and establish even more leverage. Some people are saying, Russia had so much leverage. Russia has so much leverage. Well, you lose leverage the minute that your opponent is willing to commit suicide economically against you just to meet their agenda. And this is why the Glenn Ford was so, I think, prophetic in this way, is that when he talked about endless war and when we talk about endless war at Black Agenda Report, we're not just saying that endless war and austerity and capitalist exploitation, that they go together. But also we're saying that endless war as a means of an end it also has a particular quality where endless war can actually replace economic imperatives in the overall political orientation of, of the system that we're talking about of, imper of U.S. imperialism. And I believe that is what precipitated this military operation. If your opponent is willing to starve you into submission to the point of maybe potential political instability, then you got to get things done a little faster than maybe you you had hoped for. And so here we are. Here we are, right? The whole conversation about sanctions getting out of the SWIFT system, cutting off all, you know, cutting off Russia's supplying of of gas to Europe through the Nord Stream 2 to Germany. That's part of it. And so we need to talk about it like that. So I got to go. I have something in 10 minutes, a revolutionary blackout network. I will be joining Compton J. CJ on his program with Ilya Cepeda as well. Be on for an hour. So all you lovely people, before you leave here, like the stream, subscribe to the channel, hit the notifications bell after you do that. And then Please do uh, subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Danny Haifong and help sustain this work. I'm actually uh, working on an article on this very topic that I will uh, hopefully get to you before the end of this week. So please do 
go to Revolutionary Blackout Network. Let me just link that before I leave here. Right, all right, all right. Here we go. I'm just going to link to their page and go to that. And you can listen to me talk more about this if you so choose. But before you leave, go to the like button, hit that, subscribe to the channel and hit the notifications bell when you're done. And then consider supporting my work monthly at any amount as low as a dollar per month, patreon.com slash Danny Haifong. Peace out, everybody. It's been a good one. And yeah, it, I, I might not be streaming for a little bit given scheduling. Maybe I'll try to squeeze one in. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays are work days for me. So I'll try to squeeze one in uh, perhaps before I have a lot of things to do Friday. Saturday, I'm going to be streaming actually. So the next one may be with uh, uh, Cyrus Jensen. Ch he, he's a China YouTuber. He's great. So be on the lookout for that. Saturday morning, we will be doing that. And we'll be cross-streaming on his channel and my channel. And we'll be talking about American exceptionalism in China. And I'm sure if events are as hectic as they are now, I'm sure we'll also be talking about this situation too and its uh, impact, probably with, uh, with regard to China, which I haven't covered much, which probably will be something I talk about. All right, everybody. Take good care. And I'll see you at RBN in 10 minutes. Peace.